You are now listening to the Next Great Small Business Podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here is your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading the podcast. I very much appreciate it. So basically what this podcast is going to be about is going to be trying to give a voice and to advocate for small business in Canada. What we're trying to do here is we're trying to educate, motivate regular people to start their own business, whether it's a side gig, transitioning to maybe more of a full-time venture, or to really monetize their passion projects. So during these episodes that you're going to be hearing moving forward, we're going to be trying to look at different industries run by different small business owners. You know, who tell it like it is in their world and educate others on they won't even get into the industry that they're in. But more importantly, it's all about telling the awesome stories of how they got there. So just to even get started, I guess this episode is going to be more about myself, um, just telling kind of my story on it. Because on the future episode, you're going to hear me talking to all these different owners about their story, whether it's their personal, their work story, or even their, their small business story. But before we get into that, you know, you might as well start with, who am I, right? So I think what's more important is to say, who is the host? And, and here's what uh, my story is. And so you guys can kind of understand where I'm coming from and, and hear that, you know what, I think everybody should be trying to pursue some type of options that they have. Like, like you said, start their own business or anything like that. And whether it's small where you just want to make you know $1,000 a year, or if you want to try to build that up into something that's more sustainable to a current job that you currently have, or really taking something that you're really good at, see how you can monetize that and, and make some money that way. So it's all about that. But I think the most important thing is I'm a husband and father. And how do you kind of balance working a full-time job, having a side gig, but also managing those relationships in, you know, that's very important to me and especially my wife and my kids. So I guess the story for myself, I'll start from the beginning. So I was born and raised in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And the funny thing is about my story too, is that my parents are both from the Philippines, but they actually met on a blind date in downtown Toronto. They had a few friends, they had common friends. They said, Hey, why don't you guys, you know, start going out and, you know, that is their story. It's different from the immigrant story that we might hear about where we're talking like, oh, they were married back in the home country and then one will immigrate to Canada and then they're going to sponsor their spouse and everything like that. No, my parents met here. They immigrated here legally and they just so happened to meet here, like I said. So anyways, my childhood was a very good childhood. I mean, we weren't a super rich family, but we definitely weren't a poor family. We were probably between, I would say the middle class. So there was never any question of, of, are we going to make next mortgage payments or anything like that? Or we can't buy certain foods. We had always a really good food, really, and really good Filipino food, mind you. Now, I don't eat a lot of Filipino food now, but, you know, when I visit my mom and she makes some very special food, oh, wow, it's really awesome. So anyways, when I was a kid, I was probably intrigued with the world of business. Now, I wasn't reading the business newspapers by any means, but I guess there was always kind of something that I just found interesting. Some people really like art. Some people really like playing sports. And I, I played a lot of sports when I was a kid. But I was kind of allured to the to the business world. And I'm not too sure why. Like, I remember one project where we had to make an advertising campaign. This is probably grade four or five. And I had to come up with something. And I called it Cosmic Chips. So we had to create a a, a prototype of a product which is basically me just taking an old Doritos bag, covering up the label and writing cosmic chips on it just so I can show it. We had to come up with a jingle and uh, basically how we were going to try to market this product. And I remember going through that and I'm thinking, oh, interesting. 
So when I got to high school, I, I definitely, it further enhanced what I looked for. The passion for business was really starting to grow in me. But the funny thing is I did not really want to do any entrepreneurship course because I never really thought of it. I always thought I was going to be working for a multi-million dollar corporation back then. So I would take the accountings, the marketing, the economics, all those different things, because that's what I was interested in, communication technology stuff as well, and communications. So it was a lot of fun in high school. I think I was reasonably smart, made the honor roll, which is nice. And I remember one particular project that I really did not do well in. It was some communications project where we had to, it was kind of like a 30-second ad where we had to talk about a particular product or service. And I remember I was trying to sell, I think, a used car lot. It's totally fictitious. You had to make up your own. But you had to do it in a very creative way. And I was not very creative at that particular project because I tried to talk like I was from the street, which I was not. I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but me trying to use various slangs probably is, I would sound very silly trying to do it. So I, I don't know what made me think sounding like I'm from the street, trying to sell a used car lot was going to go over very well. And it was very embarrassing. So that was one of my fails in life for these little school projects. But aside from that, I was able to get like a business honors award in high school because I was always you know, pretty good at stuff like that. I went to university for information technology management back then. And it was a mixture between computer science and business. And yeah, it was a very interesting time in my life. So I, I did not obviously graduate, you know, from that university, you know, with a bachelor's of uh, commerce degree. So you know, I'm very happy I did that. But I mean, this is not this this whole thing is not about telling me telling you what in my resume or of of my whole life. But I'll t I'll try to keep this uh, kind of brief, which is good luck for that because I probably tend to be a little bit long winded at times. But anyways, aside from that, in terms of that was kind of like my personal side in terms of how I was raised, and of course my beautiful wife, and then we have two great kids. And uh, that's kind of like my personal side. But in terms of the work, oh my goodness. Work, side, work resume, I don't want to go through every single job, but I did a lot. I think I started working when I was about 15. And I remember the first job I did, I was working as a computer operator trainee because my dad was actually a, I guess, an IT manager for this particular office. And that, he, he hired me and I would work maybe one, maybe two weekends a month. And I was getting paid about $15 an hour. And it was like a, a full work day. My biggest memory was, favorable memory was, was always having lunch with my dad, going to Burger King. That was, that, that was pretty much my main motivation for, for, no, I'm kidding. Of course not. But yeah, I would do things like, I don't know if you, they don't probably don't have those anything now because that back then, a lot of like paperwork, invoicing, all that was on actual paper. Like today's time frame, you can email invoices, you can email quotes and email contracts. No, this is, this is probably the mid-90s at this point. And you had to manually separate these invoices because they would have a top page. They'd have like this little, trans, this little paper that you put in between another sheet, which kind of copies it onto another page. And sorry, sorry if I correct, you know, apologize if, you, if I don't understand, if I've not explained this correctly, but I had to put various things through machines so they can separate all these pages. So the white copy goes to the client, the yellow copy goes to maybe our internal records department, and then we throw out this transparency paper that would kind of copy the, the sheets from top to bottom. But then we had to take these big, ginormous rolls of tape, and it was to back up that company's you know, informational records, right? So it'd be backing up their data. 
right? Right now, everything is on the servers, but back then it was like on big tape drives. So I had to learn how to do that. But, but from there, actually, a lot of my work was the next phase of my life actually was more of the sales life, right? I used to sell gas services door to door. I knock on people's doors because at that time the the government had deregulated the gas services industry, right? So they allowed companies to get started, and I would go door to door, knocking on people's doors, trying to tell them, "Hey, you can save money if you sign up this for this contract to deregulate your gas service." Yeah, got yelled at a lot, got chased off by dogs, so had my time in that. I don't even think I got paid for that, to be honest. I think the first week they said you weren't going to get paid for it because it was more like a hell week or like an initiation period, which would totally be illegal now, now in Canada. From there, I actually did like, so here in Canada, we have, or especially here in Toronto, we have the CNE. And I used to work at the CNE every, I think I worked there for like two years and you, you try to go in. And I remember the first role that I got there was selling the world's smallest radio. It was a radio the size of a toonie with uh, little headphones that kind of came came out of it. And uh, it was basically like a, you just hit a button and you just change to different radio stations that are based in the area that you're in. So I remember doing that working crazy hours, morning to night. And then I also worked for like a major cell phone provider as well the following year where you were basically selling their 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 rate plans and all that sort of stuff. So as this thing got moved on, I think another sales job that I remember doing was, wasn't the, I did the door-to-door. I did the face-to-face with the actual people. Another face-to-face one was, I actually used to sell, uh, I used to sell kitchen knives and it was through a personal appointment. So I wouldn't be going door-to-door, but I would actually be doing what most small business owners will do, depending on the business, is to go with family and friends, try to sell them something right? So I'd make appointments with them and get referrals from them, right? And at that, pi- at that point, I was actually getting paid just to show the product, right? And what you would do is that, okay, so if I tried to sell it to somebody and they, you know, let's, say, let's say they said no, right? I would still have their address information so I can show my office or the office I work for. Yeah, here, here's all the appointments I did. So they would recommend, okay, even though we didn't buy from you, here's the list of five or t- to 10 other people, that you can, that may want to be interested in the product that you're selling, which was in this case, kitchen knives, very expensive kitchen knives. And uh, that was a fun venture. I think I was really close to actually becoming a branch manager there, an assistant branch manager there. Like uh, we were actually, I actually did a pretty good job with that one. And then from there, I actually decided to go into, you know, I guess uh, the call center life. So for those who've been in call centers, it's not an easy, it's not an easy life, right? It's not an easy job at all. I mean, you get you get paid a decent amount. Like I think I remember started off and I was getting paid like $12 an hour. And then even, you know, year after that, it was 15, almost $16 an hour. But my first call center job was literally outbound telemarketing. So I was the guy that would call you just as you're eating dinner. And I'm here to talk about your home phone service, which back then was home phone. Cell phones were not a big thing yet. It was still very, very new. So um, back to my old job of, selling gas services door to door, I'd get doors slammed and people yelling at me. Telemarketing is now the opposite, not the opposite, but you know, the phone version of what that was. Got a lot of, got told off a lot. Got a lot of people yelling at me, right? As you can imagine with anybody, right? I know nowadays we get, we still get those telemarketing company calls, usually for duck cleaning. And some cases from the Canada Revenue Agency scams where they're trying to tell you to that you owe thousands of dollars. But but I digress. And then I told myself, okay, I'm not going to do telemarketing. I I don't like the idea of bothering people. 
I'm going to go work on the inbound side where I'm going to try to help people because I've always been, I've always enjoyed helping others. And from there, instead of getting yelled at for interrupting people, now I'm getting yelled at from people who, where I did not do anything to them or to, in this case, like I said, it was through another major telecommunications company. If their phones don't work, there's something wrong with their bill or anything like that. Apparently it was my fault. So I went through that experience as well, but you know, it was, it paid a lot. And I think it's a very tough job to do. So from there, I actually started my, I got my first office job at a major bank doing data entry. Now, for those who don't know what data entry is, it's literally punching in informations like from a paper file into, into a database of some kind. So nowadays that'd be almost foreign to us. You have four online forms that you can now enter this information to capture this information. But back then it was all done manually. So I'd be looking at invo- paper invoices, punching it into a system. But that did give me my first kind of, I guess, office experience because I knew myself I wanted to work in an office. So from there, I actually actually worked for a local municipality, one of the biggest ones here in, in Ontario, where I was also doing data entry. So I, would, I remember reading files of entering addresses because I was in the real estate department back then. And I had to take these big stack of files and start entering into a, a database. And some of these addresses was from like 1908, really, really old stuff. And to try and organize it by address where some of the addresses back then, they don't even exist anymore. So it was a very interesting time during, during that whole thing. But eventually as I got older and was, I, I was finishing university and IT, like I, I managed to work for a few different major uh, companies, right? I actually worked for an electronics manufacturing company. I was based out of here in Scarborough, North York um, area. And I was there for about a good 18 months. And that was a good thing. And that was more for inventory management, logistics. So got some really great experience there. And then, then I transitioned on to a major consulting firm, like one of the big firms here all over the world. I was actually in there as an operational analyst kind of thing, where I'd be assigning consultants to various issues um, that some of the clients that we service would have, right? So if they're having issue with a software that we design for them, I would route them to the right consultant to help them out. But then also we decided to help out working with bigger clients where a lot of the times it was more of a major consulting firm would recommend, maybe sell a particular software. And usually after that software got installed, we would support them for about six, three to nine months, maybe even a year in case they had any issues with the software. Well, when I was hired, it turned into something where it's like, okay, let's just do this more long-term. So the post-go-live support was not going to be a year. It's going to be something that's going to be continuously moving on. So that's what basically I was there for a while, but then I got burnt out from that. I was like, you know what? I, I need a break. And at that time I was exercising a lot. I got into nutrition and fitness. It's something I was an interest in. I took a break from the corporate side. I said, I, I was burnt out. I got certified as a, as a personal trainer and uh, in the fitness industry. So I did that including, and I was always a martial artist when I was a kid. So I got certified in that. So I got to teach kickboxing and self-defense. And and, that, and then I would work at various gyms working with clients. And I really enjoyed that interaction with the clients and really trying to help people. I think at the end of the day, I really enjoy helping people achieve certain goals, right? So I did that for a while. And then I ended up working for an actual fitness certification company here based out of Canada. W- worked really hard, did a little bit of like the inbound customer service kind of ro- role where I kind of then evolved, my role evolved. And then I became more of a leader. I became a team leader where I was managing about six to 10 agents, but we were more on the data management side of it. So I thought that was a great career. And then um, 
my last job, which is my current job, actually, was working at a big, one of the top five banks here in Canada. And I've been with them for going on 11 years, almost 11 years. So that that's kind of like my work story. And I tried to go through that as quickly as I could. But, you know, just to kind of show you how the evolution of my career came out. But then I say, well, well, Ken, that's great. But, but what about the small business world, man? I mean, this is what we're here for. We're here to listen about small businesses in Canada and all that sort of stuff. So I guess I can give you a little bit of a, a nugget of how my small business story started happening. I remember, even though I didn't take any entrepreneurship uh, sorry, classes in school, I guess there was always a part of me that was interested in it. So I remember my first kind of gig or my first thing, well, I think I was probably about, oh, geez, maybe 10 years old. So I was studying martial arts. So the style of martial arts at that time I was taking was Taekwondo. And I got my black belt at 14. But back when I was even still working that, I was like maybe 10 years old. I remember my first gig was I was trying to sell my service to family. Like most small business owners do is they try, if their product or service is something that regular consumers are not super specialized, but just a general product or service that can go to anybody, they try to show it to the family and friends first. And I remember I was teaching Taekwondo and I used to sell Taekwondo training services where I would teach kids, right? I remember I would be teaching them maybe like $5 a class where it's like kind of like a one-on-one or maybe a small group. And that's what I would do. And I remember, I remember my sister as well. She was also my business partner back then as well. And she was going to handle the account side and the, and the paperwork side. And I remember my biggest seller that I got was selling back then. Instead of saying, instead of me telling, okay, I can pay, I can charge you guys $5 a class to teach your kids. I said, you know what? For you guys, I'm going to offer this a lifetime of training for $25. That's right, $25 for me to teach your kids for the rest of their life. So that was that was my first entrepreneurial gig. And like I said, of course, family would just give me the money. I don't think I have any clients now from that, but I remember that was my first kind of, I guess, experience trying to get into the business world. I remember also raking leaves for my neighbors for just a few dollars, right? But I think the first real kind of... Um, business I went to was as a multi-level marketing firm. And, and the reason why I'm very cognizant, I don't really want to tell the names of some of these companies because I don't want people, I don't want to get contacted by these companies and saying anything like that. So I'm keeping it very generic, but I worked for this major, it was a big company and it was multi-level marketing. So for those of you who aren't familiar with multi, multi-level marketing firms, uh, a lot of it is, okay, they'll show you such uh, a product or service and the product and services, I'm sure, is, is fine, right? It's really, really good. And But the goal was, wasn't to be have a wholesale retail relationship, although that was a piece of the business. A lot of it was to try to recruit other people to join the business. And whatever, when, when they sell the products or services that the company would sell, they'd get that. They'd pocket the difference from the retail wholesale cost. But then they'd also, but you as a recruiter for bringing them into the business, you too would get that a cut of their business. And then it was right this thing. So people like to call it pyramid scheme. I don't think it's a bad business in some respects because you know what, if you take a look at any big corporation right now, you got the CEO and surprisingly a lot when you see the people under them forms the shape of a pyramid. So I, I mean, I don't want to bash them for, for that. That was just their business model. 
But I remember selling these things where I, I think I can't remember. It was a variety of different products. I have a catalog and I would say, you know what, guys, let me be your personal shopper, meaning that look through this catalog, tell me what product you like, and I'll get it for you. So I remember going through these businesses and I'd show all my family and friends. Like I said, family and friends are usually your first clients. So they'd pick a product here and there. And like I said, I would write a check. We didn't have e-transfers back then. I would write a check to my distributor to say, okay, here's, here are the orders for all the products that I was able to sell. And I'd write them a check and I would then deliver the products to my family and friends, and then they would pay me in cash. And uh, I had a great person who was responsible for the accounts receivable to make sure that we got paid. Her name is mom, because during this business time, I think I was only like, what, 17 maybe. And I had to, when I'm writing checks for hundreds of dollars, and uh, I would be very, very interesting to see how that would work today. But yeah, I would, it was a very interesting business. And I had to remember paying up to $250 just to get involved with the business. Right. And uh, I definitely made my money back. I, I'll even tell you this. I actually sold one of the first digital cameras that came out, not in the world, because I don't know about that, but at least for myself, this, this digital camera, which was the first time you would actually have a camera where you, you can see the screen of what you're taking a picture of, like after the fact. Right. And I remember, but the funny thing is, this is a long time ago. This is probably the mid to close to the late nineties where now we got smartphones. And even before that, the old school Polaroid things where you take a picture and a little thing comes out and it's the picture right there. But this one wasn't like that. This is the first digital camera because back then we had to take pictures on rolls of film, take them to a store, and then they would process all the photos and then we'd pick it up. But this one was the first time you could see it on the actual camera. And But the funny thing is you could only see it and you can only show it to people through an auxiliary cable plugged into a television. So not not back before where you can with take a download the photos onto a on a memory card and you can pull out the card and show it onto the computer. No, no. The only way you could actually see the photos on this one is through auxiliary cables plugged into a television. Really big fat televisions back then. But yeah, I sold that to to my late grandmother. And I remember it was like, oh man, I think it was almost like an eight hundred dollar camera. And she had no issue buying that for me just because it, it, you share that trust in me. So aside from that, that was a good business in terms of, did I recruit anybody? No, I really focused on that wholesale retail profit in between. That's what I would, that's how I made my money. So I definitely made back my $250 and more, right? But then that transitions into another business that I got into was actually the personal training business. So when I got certified as a trainer and I was working at these different gyms, the good thing about these gyms is that they were non-exclusive, right? As long as you didn't affect the clients you were training there, they were okay with you running your own business as well. So I had a, my own personal training business where I had a lot of clients and I didn't, a lot of it before was I would go to their homes to work, to work out with them. And sometimes they, we were staying in a condo at the time, my wife and I, or my now wife and I, where I would use the condo gym to, to do, do any of these training sessions. But then I thought, oh, that's not very professional. I want something consistent because the condo we were at was like a condo that was built in the late 80s. So a lot of their fitness equipment was very rusty. It was really creaky. It was really not a good gym. So then I had partnerships with like different personal training studios. I'd actually go out and I'd rent out. I didn't want to rent it out because when you're a personal trainer or any type of fitness professional, you're only as good as the consistent clients you're coming in with. So if you don't have 
a client that or a dedicated space where you're, you have a dedicated client that's going to be coming in three times a week, whatever the case may be. But the idea of renting out a gym, renting out a studio and then investing in the equipment and all, that was a lot. So I would actually rent time at these personal training studios where I'd say, okay, I want to rent out, uh, I want to borrow your facility for, and I, I would negotiate a rate with the owner. So they'd charge me X dollars and then whatever I charge my client with, I'd give them a little bit of the difference just to rent their space. So I did that for a few years. So that was a very fun time. And then I got into my next gig was in car detailing, where for some reason I was watching, I was trying to learn how to, you know, do things with cars, right? I'm not, I'm not a car guy per se, but I, I turned into more of a clean car guy where I was like, there's something I can appreciate seeing a clean car because I've watched a lot of YouTube videos and it looked like it was a very fun thing. So I started doing that on my own cars. We had a couple of cars. My wife had a car and I had a car, so I would do that. So I would start with that. And then I got into like, oh, I can actually make money on this. So I said, okay, what can I do? So at that time, obviously the same thing. I did not want to invest in a shop, right? Because it's it's very expensive, right? To, and you need to have like really good clientele that are always coming in and doing these jobs that can be as simple as maybe like a 30 to $40 hand wash for exteriors and maybe vacuuming and cleaning up the interiors. To actually full-blown detailing, which is more like polishing and removing, claying a car. And claying is just basically removing contaminants from the car. So if you clay a car, if you touch the car with your hand, it's like smooth. It's almost like glass, right? And then actually polishing out all the scratches and scuff marks that are on the car. And I did that for a few years and made some okay money with that as well. But I think it started the evolution of, of how things are because for some businesses, they're very labor intensive. As much as I still enjoy cleaning a car today, I remember when I started my mobile, and I, like you said, you have to start mobile, right? Because like I said, it's expensive to have a shop. So I would try to market it towards, hey, I'll come to your home and I will clean your cars for you, right? Whether it's interior, exterior, or, or whatever. But I found that even though I was offering mobile services, 99% of the clients would rather leave it in our house. So they'd say, oh, Ken, we'll drop off our car and just contact us in a few hours when the car is ready. So that's basically how I operated. And I made pretty good money with that. I even hired a staff or two to help me on these jobs. But then I noticed, though, because I, you know, I had a young family at the time. So it was really hard for my kids to not understand why, why daddy can't play with them, right? Because I'm cleaning another car. I'm working on another car even having help. So, and then I also thought from the long-term picture, okay, I can only detail a car for so long, right? I'm in my early forties now, but back, I can't imagine doing that in my sixties, right? Cause that'd be a very hard life. So I said, okay, what can I do now? Still made good money with that, invested a lot, even did some product sales for some of the car cleaning products that I used. I decided to, okay, what can we do now? So I thought, okay, Real estate sounds cool. I like the idea. Watch those home renovation shows or those fix and flip houses ones. But I didn't have the money. But I said, okay, I got to invest in something. Because then I thought, oh, maybe we can buy a property and we can rent it out. Which is a very lucrative business. But, you know, at that time, once you become married, it's really challenging, right? Because you have to make sure that you're both on board, right? Because it's hard to pursue a business with, uh, you know, a significant other that maybe does not want to get into that. So I said, okay, but I feel like we got to invest in something so we can find a way to make some money. And I remember when I used to, like I said, back in the fitness realm, when I used to work and teach boxing, kickboxing, whatever, I'd be working two, three jobs at a time. 
well, not not literally on a particular day, but you know, I would be sp- spread out a lot. I'd be driving. I put a lot of kilometers on the car to go to all these different gyms and all that sort of stuff. And I told my wife, I cannot. I don't know if I want to do that anymore. I don't want to be traveling three or you know three different jobs. So, but there's got to be something where we can earn a little bit of a passive income on that. So we invested in solar panels, where we basically resell the power that's generated on our roof back to the utility providers. So that's what we've been doing for the last since about 2015 or so, and we have a 20 year deal for that. So we, it's nice to have that type of income coming in. But I don't think I was really content with that, right? So, okay, it's nice, but what else can we do? And then now we're getting to the part where we've kind of, where, where, we, are, where we are right now, actually. So for my small business that I'm focused on right now is, is, to, is the website and mobile app testing space. Where basically I'm trying to help a lot of these smaller companies evaluate their website and their mobile apps that they plan on releasing. Not from a technical perspective, but more from the functional perspective, right? Because I think you can only, your website is basically your image to the world. So how does your website run? Does everything work on your site? Because it's one thing if you're creating the site yourself, but there are certain things that you could miss. And that's where, that's where, where we come in, where we say, okay, we look at it from the user experience perspective. If I'm going to your site, I am going to click on everything that I can look at. Does it make sense? Does it work? Are the colors okay? Is it too busy? Is it not busy? And the same thing with your mobile apps as well, because people say, I got I to create an app for my service. Well, let me test your app. Let me say, okay, if I'm going to take this app and I'm going to try it, does it work? When I click on something, is it going to take me to where I need to go? And answer the questions that I'm looking to have answered. Because basically what I, what, what, the reason why this started was because my, my current job at this, at, at this major bank as I work in the procurement space, I'm in sourcing. So when we look for supplier, I'm going to a website, and if it's not, you know, professional or clean, or I have no clue what they offer, I'm going to pass, right? So I think that's the experience that I kind of bring into this whole thing. So that's the service that I've been, I've been doing that. Oh my God, I've been in procurement, maybe going on almost 11 years. So I know what websites look like in terms of ones that are going to work, ones that aren't going to work, that would at least make me want to stay on it longer. There's a lot of sites out there that you're, you're there for less than 10 seconds. If it doesn't look right or you can't seem to navigate it, links are broken. There's no way to, to get the company information of what are the product services you're offering, where can we contact you. If you can't find that stuff, you're losing out a good chunk of business there. So that's part of the space that I'm in right now, but also not just that. In the next few months, I'll be launching... I'll be launching a store as well, not just for, I mean, I ran stores for, for cleaning products back then when I used to sell car, car cleaning products, but it's more for like, what? looking for merchandise for just the entrepreneur, just motivational stuff. Because I think the biggest challenge that entrepreneurs have, small business owners have is, especially from a side gig perspective, is to maintain that longevity. I mean, I've been running businesses all over the place right? Almost since I was a kid. So to, to continue when times get tough, well, that's probably the space that I'm trying to do. So something is something, whether it's really funny, a funny little meme down on a shirt, or just some motivational thing like, hey, rise and grind, if you want to do that, maybe have that on a coffee mug or something like that. But just something that it helps the, the, the owner 
to continue to keep going because yeah, I've been there from that perspective and sometimes it's not fun, but to not give up, that's always something that's great. So guys, I know I've been kind of talking for about almost about 30 plus minutes, but you can see the story that, that I've kind of brought to this whole thing and where am I coming from? And I know in the future episodes, you're going to have a great time because I've already have a lot of episodes kind of filmed already where we have some awesome guests where they're from all over the place in terms of the businesses. So it's not going to be strictly a, something that's focused on, let's say, real estate or very specialized. We're only looking at one niche. No, we're looking into everything. I want to talk to people who are in real estate. I want to talk to people who are doing some type of professional service. I want dog grooming, home contractor, you know maybe even a franchisee who's running a franchise. We're going to have everybody because everybody's story is different. But at the same time, it's different, but the same, if that makes any sense. Because at the end of the day, they're doing what they really want to do. And to hear their story from the beginning to where it currently is and what their goals are for the future is something that I'm very excited for because I, I thrive on really great conversations. You heard my story. And the one thing I can't wait for you, I can't wait for you guys to hear some of my guest story. And hopefully that'll help motivate you to want to do something, whether it's to pursue your own, like I said, your own passion project, or if, if let's say I have a realtor on and you want to get into real estate, hearing their story of how they became a real estate agent and what are the things you should look at, because you can watch videos or you can read certain blogs or certain things of how to get into a certain realm. But to talk to someone or to listen to someone who's actually in that space and tells you what it's really like, because obviously for a lot of places, every small business opportunity there is, if you're going to get in, if you're going to get into it, they're only going to show you the good stuff. I want to show, I want people to listen to the real stuff, both good and bad, because the worst thing you, I, I, the worst thing I do not want to have anyone do is to invest a lot of money into a venture. And they really don't like it. So this is almost like a way to say, hey, if you really want to get into this industry, here's what you have to be careful about. This is what the day is like. And if you still want to do it, great. If it's too much for you and it doesn't balance with your you know, family life, then don't do it. That's, that's my, that's my uh, goal for all these podcasts is to really help people understand Okay, if I want to do this, what are the things I need to look look for? And to hear people who are in who are experts in these fields that can really tell me, like I said, how it really is. So guys, that's it for this episode. Hope you had a great time listening to it. I had a great time. Most cases you're not going to hear me do most of the talking. It's really going to be about my guests. So with that, guys, thanks for listening. It's going to be a fun ride, guys. And I uh, Glad you're with me on this journey. I can't wait for you to hear the next episode. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.